And today we're going to have the final sermon in that sermon series. It's entitled The uh, Ending a Bad Relationship or Ending a Bad Friendship. Luke chapter number 15 is the main text, as was mentioned a moment ago. This passage is a story that Jesus is giving, and he's talking about those who have been lost, a lost, uh, a lost sheep. He talks about in verses 1 through 7, a lost coin in verses 8 all the way to verse 10, and then a lost son, verses 11 all the way to verse 31. And we pick up in verse number 11. Let's see what it says. In verse 11, then he said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of my property that falls to me. So he divided his estate between them. It's a story of a boy and another boy, two sons of a father. One of the sons came to his father and said, hey, hey dad, you know, um, I have an inheritance coming. Yes, son, you do. And you're not, you know, dead yet. And it doesn't look like you're going to die anytime soon, so I'm wondering if you'll hook me up early. Do you understand this is not a nice thing to do, right? To approach your father and to say, I want what is due to me now because it looks like you're healthy and I don't want to wait, you know, until the funeral. So what I'd like is my money now. Can we agree this is not a nice thing to do? How many of you agree this is not a nice thing to do? But this is what he does nonetheless. And so that's exactly what happens. His father gives him his money, verse 13. Not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and journeyed to a distant country. And there he squandered his possessions in prodigal living. When he had spent everything, there came a severe famine in the country, and he began to be in want. He runs away from his father and his father's house. He lives a wild life that would be dishonoring to his father. Now, before we judge him too harshly, this is a metaphor for, the how, for how humans can be. We are created by God the Father, we're sent into the world, and we dishonor the Father by living opposed to everything that he would want for the family, for you as his children, for you as his daughter, for you as his son. We, in the story, are the prodigal son, running away from the father and destroying our inheritance from God. And what happened in this story happens to us. A famine comes in the land, and then suddenly we don't have what we used to have. And we think to ourselves, what are we going to do? And look what happens to the young man. So he went out and hired himself out to the citizen of the country, who sent him into the fields to feed his pigs. And he went gladly, and, fill, and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the slop that the swine were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. When this young man finally came to himself, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have an abundance of bread, and here I am perishing with hunger? I know what I will do. I will arise and go to my father's house, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son, but would you instead make me one of your hired servants? So he arose and he came to his father's house. I know my father, I've left him, and I know I've dishonored him, but I also know he's a gracious father. And now if I humbly repent 
and I return to my father. I know it won't be as, as it once was, but maybe, maybe he'll receive me into his house. Maybe I could just be a servant. Let's pray. Father, I, I do ask for myself and for my brothers and sisters who, if they're like me, have often, more than once perhaps, run into the far country, run away from you and dishonored your name, demanded our inheritance from you. Give me, give me, give me, and then, Father, taken what you've given us and wasted it on sinful living. God, I pray that today, if there would be a prodigal among us, like I've been in my life, that you would see that they not only return to you, but they would see that you welcome them back freely. I also pray, Father, for my brothers in this room, my sisters in this room, who see themselves as the older brother, who, who's never strayed from you. I pray, Father, that you would break our hearts of our hypocrisy and unrepentant spirit. And today you would receive us back as well. And then lastly, Lord, I pray for this concept of friendship, that you would help each of us to see what to do when someone walks away and how to graciously receive them back into our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Pastor Josh, what does this passage have to do with friendship? I thought the sermon series was about friendship. I thought what we were talking about is how to deal with your friends in life and relationships in life. I mean, we began the sermon series two weeks ago by declaring that everyone needs good friends in our lives and that you're not the exception of the rule, but you need good friends, not, not harmful friends. That was session number one. Then last week, we had session number two. And last week, we talked specifically about um, how to get good friends. It was a very practical, practical message that talked about how to get good friends and how to keep good friends. But now, in today's final sermon, we're going to ask this question. What do I do um, with a bad friendship? How do I end a bad relationship? What do I do when I realize a relationship is going bad? And, and to begin with, I want to talk about the fact that there are three types of friendships that are not permanent. Three types of friendships that are not meant to last forever. Those would be the transactional friendship, the toxic friendship, and the third that we're going to focus on mostly today. Let me explain what I mean by that. There are three kinds of relationships that are not meant to last forever. The first one is transactional. A transactional relationship is not a true friendship. You say, what is a transactional relationship? A transactional relationship is the same relationship that you have with your barber, right? Your barber is not your best friend, though he may be friendly. You go into your barber and he cuts your hair as long as you give him money. How many of you have a barber? How many of you have a barber that you would still get a haircut even if you did not give them money? How many of you have a barber, they'll still cut your hair even if you don't pay them? How many have it? A few of you do, right? Why? Because these are your real friends, right? But most of us have barbers that don't cut our hair for free, which means they're not friendships, they're transactional relationships. As long as I bring the money, he cuts my hair. As long as he cuts my hair, I bring him the money. Does this make sense? It's transactional. The problem with a lot of people, especially men, is that we don't often understand the difference between transactional relationships and authentic friendships. A transactional relationship is, you do this for me, and I'll do this for you. But the moment you stop doing this for me is the moment I stop doing this for you. So we meet an insurance agent. We're like, man, this guy is my friend. No, he's friendly. 
and they're supposed to be friendly, but they're not your friend. Or you meet a, a car dealer, and they're friendly, and you're like, man, this guy's my best friend. He's not your best friend. He works on commission. Aren't you thankful for friendly insurance agents and friendly car dealers, aren't you? Don't you? I mean, you don't want them cursing at you, you know? We need insurance and we need cars, but they're not your friend. This is so true for so many people, is the reason you've been hurt in your relationships is because you are thinking that this is a real relationship, when in fact it's not a real relationship, you're in a transactional relationship. This is why they're done with you the moment you stop performing up to their standard. They're not a real, authentic friend. The Bible says a friend loves at all times. And one type of relationship that is naturally going to end is a transactional relationship. It's natural. It's not going to, I mean, your barber, if your barber moved from the city, it's not like you're going to start crying, oh, and then get upset. I'm angry with you. Why are you angry? Because you left me. You left the city. You say, what are you talking about? You no longer cut my hair. Well, I thought our deal was that you give me money and I cut your hair. No, you left me. You're not going to stalk them on Facebook. You know what I mean? Where'd you go? Actually, I was talking with Bla Pastor Blake about this, and he actually said, no, I, I really miss my barber from Philadelphia. He said, occasionally, I'll go on social media and just see how he's doing. <laughs> like, Man, that's a really nice fade. I wish he lived here. He said, occasionally, he'll even email him and be like, you need to move to Las Vegas. I'm like, that's unhealthy, okay? See, <laughs> It's, it's, it's a transaction. They're supposed to end. Here's another type of friendship that needs to end. A toxic relationship. A toxic relationship. That is, if you have a relationship with someone who is toxic, you gotta end it. Stop it. What are you doing? I can't believe how many of us are foolish enough to continue a relationship with a person who is toxic to us. Now, some very compassionate Christians get really nervous when I talk about toxic people because they say, nobody is toxic. Everybody is equally toxic or equally not toxic. I get it, I get it. That's a very compassionate way to think. Let me explain what I mean by this. I have a friend. His name is Nathan. Nathan has a son who is extremely dangerously allergic to peanuts. He can't touch them. He can't taste them. In fact, if he were to touch a peanut, if he were to taste a peanut, he would be rushed to the hospital. The problem is it's actually a delayed reaction. He doesn't know, or he doesn't actually show symptoms for like five or six hours. So it could happen in the middle of the day, and the, baby's, uh, the boy goes to sleep at night, and all of a sudden the reaction, so it's a very serious, dangerous situation. Allergic to peanuts. Toxic to him. Me, on the other hand, I... I love Reese's peanut butter cups. Can I get a hallelujah? Oh, wow. Okay, really? Okay. Yes. But they are. They're, they're wonderful. If you ever wonder what manna was in the wilderness, it was Reese's peanut butter cups. It's true. It's true. Maybe. I, but I'm pretty sure Reese's, they're so good. Am I right? They're so good. I love Reese's peanut butter. What is toxic to one person is awesome in my life. You see? You understand what I'm saying? Just because somebody is not good for you doesn't mean they're not a good person for somebody else. So what you need to do is stay clear of those who are toxic to you. You're not good for them. They're not good for you. Be done with them and move on so that they don't harm you and you don't harm them. Do you see what I'm saying? Is this uncompassionate? Yes or no? The answer is no. Say no. No, this is right for you. This is right for you. So, a toxic relationship needs to end. Number one, what are we talking about? Transactional relationships. Number two, toxic relationships. Now the third that the sermon is actually about. 
And the third type of relationship that needs to end, well, it's the one that was once good and you can sense is going bad. It's the friendship that really once was good, but you can tell it's starting to go bad. You know, you know that feeling when you open the refrigerator and you look at the milk? And, and the date is two days past, but also you really, really, really want your Cocoa Puffs? And so you hold it up to your nose and you're like, I mean, it's kind of good still. You know what I mean? You, that guy knows. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And you say, it's going bad. What do I do? When you have a friendship that is going bad, I'm going to share with you what to do. What to do? What do I do, Pastor, when a good friendship seems to be going bad? Here are four aspects that come from the Bible. Number one, you need to talk to your friend. Number one, you need to talk to your friend. Say that with me. Talk to your friend. Say it again, say it again. Talk to your friend. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 17 says, As iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. The Bible describes friendship here like two pieces of clashing iron that are hitting each other. And the more they hit each other, the more they sharpen each other. I mean, the violence of that, the friction of that. You say, I have a friendship, I have real relationships, and sometimes it gets friction. Well, you know, you don't have a real relationship unless sometimes there's friction. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Can I get an amen? How many of you are married? Can I get an amen? You understand, a real relationship is going to have moments that are filled with friction. And what that ought do is it ought to sharpen you, and it ought to sharpen them. It's called confrontation sometimes. It's called talking to them, especially, especially when you begin to sense that the person that you call a friend is going off course. They're headed in a direction that's going to be hurtful to them or hurtful to others. You ever have somebody like that in your life? You love them, but you're beginning to sense that they're going in a way that's going to be hurtful and harmful to their life. And you don't want to be judgmental, and you don't want to be destructive, and you don't want to be you know, that guy or that girl. But the fact is, you're watching, you're thinking to yourself, if they keep going that direction, they're really going to harm themselves. And if you're a friend, you're going to do something about it. Right? Because as a friend, you watch your, your friend, and, and they've been spending too much time right there in the place. They've drank a little too much, and they're starting to walk out of the bar a little sideways. And a good friend will take the keys away, won't they? Maybe a good friend wouldn't have let them go in and get that way anyway in the first place. But a good friend says, you're going the wrong direction. I want to help you. Amen. Does anybody understand? Am I connecting here today? Amen. All right. Understand what I'm saying? All right. Talk to your friend. Now, if you're going to talk to your friend, there's a few things that you need to be aware of. If there's somebody in your life that you need to, the first sermon I talked about confronting a good friend, this is where we're going to talk about the how-tos. If there is somebody in your life you need to have a conversation with because they're about to hurt themselves or hurt others, this is what you need to do. There are a few possibilities that you need to be thinking through. Ex excuse me, first consider considerations. Consideration number one, you need to ask yourself this question. Is this person actually my friend? Consideration number one, before you talk to this person. Man, I really see this person going off track. Is this person actually my friend? If they're not your friend, what do you do? The answer is mind your own business. You ever known somebody that loved to get their nose in everybody else's business? I mean, this is not a person who's afraid of confrontation. This is a person that goes looking for confrontation. This is the type of person who wants to reach out and correct you, and you're like, who are you again? You understand? This is not what we're talking about. You, you know what I mean, right? How many of you, if you had some random Facebook friend, personally call your cell phone number 
and call you out on something in your life and you're like, I don't even know you. And they're like, we're friends on Facebook. You'd be like, no, that doesn't count, right? <laughs> like who in the world do you think you are to call me out? So who in the world do you think you are to call out somebody who's not actually a friend? You have to ask this question before you do this with somebody. You have to say, is this person actually my friend? If the answer is no, then shut your mouth, mind your own business, right? Okay, just calm down and you do you and let them do them. We're talking about true friends. Consideration number two, here's the next question. Is this person actually my friend? Number two, have I prayed checking my own heart prior? Have I prayed? Okay, this person is really my friend. I need to say something before they hurt themselves. All right, have you checked your own heart? Have you prayed about it? God, am I where I need to be? Before I go and pull the splinter out of their eye, do I, do I have a beam in my own eye? The Bible specifically talks about this in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1. In Galatians chapter 6, the Bible says, you, you who are spiritual in the family of God, you should restore your friends, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering yourself lest you also be tempted. That is, be humble as you approach somebody realizing, hey, I'm about to talk to you about something, but I know I've screwed up a lot in my own life, and, and, uh, and I know I probably make mistakes, and, and if you have some areas that you can help me, that's great, but there's one thing in your life I think is about to hurt you. You see? You see the humility? It's not, hey, I've got a problem with you because I'm perfect and I've got to tell you how to be perfect like me. Nobody's going to listen to you. Nobody's going to listen to you because they know you, especially if they're a friend. So you begin with this question, this, uh, this, this consideration. Is this person actually my friend? Have I prayed checking my own heart prior? Number three, you say, yes, I have. I'm prepared. I'm ready to go. Then how is this person likely to respond? That's the third consideration. How is this person likely to respond? Pastor, I don't think they're going to handle it well. Okay. And what do you do? The answer is, you craft your message, but you do it anyway. See what I just said? Say, man, I, if I talk to my cousin, my friend, my, my coworker, my father, my child about this situation, if I really do approach them, I don't think they're going to handle it well. You craft your message well, but you approach them anyway. You say, Why? because they may be hurting themselves. Some of you have friends that don't even know Jesus as your savior, as their savior. And somehow you've convinced yourself, you've boxed it in your mind like, well, Jesus is what I do to find God and they'll find God some other way. No, there is no other way to God but through Jesus Christ. We gotta approach them. Maybe you've got a Christian friend who's really been in trouble and you, you, you have to approach them. And you say, how are they gonna respond? They're not gonna respond well. Craft your message and approach them anyway. Now you say, what if they respond well? Well, the great thing about if they respond well is this, is that you've gained your friend. That's what the Bible says, Jesus says in the book of Matthew. So a few considerations before doing this. Now, I want you to also think through two possibilities of what might happen when you do this. Here's two possibilities. The first possibility that might happen if you confront your friend, talk to your friend, number one, is you might be wrong about their direction. Have you considered the possibility? This is going to be shocking. This is, this is going to blow your mind. This is going to make somebody go, what? Okay, have you considered the possibility you might be wrong? Can you say that? I, I might be wrong. Let's say that together. I might be wrong. Some of you, it's caught right there in your throat. You can't say it. It's really it's like, say, say it with me. I might be wrong. By the way, if you come into that conversation with that perspective, it actually will help the conversation go very, very well. 
I might, I might be wrong on this. Like, literally, like, they may be breaking off that, that, that engagement before getting married, and you're like, no, that's the best thing that ever happened. And then you go and talk to them, and you find out, oh, yeah, I didn't know that. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, man, you're making the right decision. You see? They, you, they, they, they may have really concentrated and contemplated all the effects of leaving that job and pursuing this new career. And you're like, I think it's the wrong decision. Then, for goodness sake, talk to your friend about it but also consider you might be wrong. They might know what they're doing. You see what I'm saying? Here's the other possibility. You might be right about their direction. You might be right. So here's a man, and he's your friend, and he's leaving his wife and children. You should go talk to him. Here's a man, a friend, who hasn't been in church for six months. You should go talk to him. Here's a friend who's growing a quarantine beard and it isn't even quarantine and you should talk to her. This is not good. You understand? Like somebody should confront this person. All right. Talk to your friend. Point number one, talk to your friend. Say talk to your friend. Talk to your friend. Number two, number two, warn your friend. Warn your friend. Once you talk to your friend, explain why you're concerned for them. Warn them. If they're your friend, you're willing to do this. And if they're your friend, they're willing to listen. Warn your friend. Proverbs chapter 27 and verse 9 says, ointment and perfume delight the heart. Um, it, it's a beautiful thing, isn't it? When you come across a beautiful scent, it's just so pleasant. It's the opposite of when you come across a raunchy scent. It's so terrible. And the Bible here is telling us this. Ointment and perfume, it delights the heart. And so is the sweetness of a man's friend who gives delight by hearty counsel. It's actually a beautiful thing when a good friend comes to you and says, hey, let me give you some advice. You say, I don't like it when people do that. Well, if they were a real friend, you would like it. And if you can't think of anybody in your life that you want advice from, then I would say, I would have you question whether or not you have friends in life. There should be a select few people in your life that can come and say to you, hey, I see this and I want to help you here, and I want to help you here, and I want to help you here. Why? Because they like you, and they love you, you see? Hearty counsel is sweet to the soul, not a dangerous, bad thing. I had a friend, his name is Rob, he pastors in Colorado. It's interesting to me, I have a lot of friends who happen to be pastors, obviously, we, we have a lot in common. And one pastor who pastors in Colorado, we all, we've known each other since college. He picked me up in the Denver airport and we were going up to a meeting in the Colorado Rockies. And as we did, we were with a guy named Joe, who's a mutual friend of ours, going up to this pastor's meeting in the Colorado Rockies. On our way up, he looked over at me and we're just talking, you know, just catching up. We, he's the kind of friend you don't see for, for six months at a time and you pick right back up, you know what I mean? And he said to me, he said, Josh, I said, yeah, Rob. He said, could I, could I, you could tell he was trying to get to, could I, I want to, I could, I want to, hey, could I, do you mind if I have, you know, I want to, could I give you some advice? And I'm like, yeah, man, like, absolutely. You know why people are nervous about giving advice is because they've tried to give advice to other friends and other friends shut them down. Which, by the way, means that you might have a transactional relationship and not an authentic friendship. Why? Because the way the transaction works is you say everything I want you to say, you validate every decision I've want, I've, I need validated, you make me feel good constantly, and the moment you don't give me what I want is the moment I get rid of you. It's a transactional relationship, it's not a real friendship. 
And this is why real friendships are as rare as gold today. So he looked over me, you, you good with that? I'm like, yeah, man, like, what's up? And he said, hey, he said, you're about to commission Brandon and Kate Snook to be missionaries to Africa out of your church. Absolutely. Some of you may not know Brandon and Kate Snook. They're missionaries to Africa, and they, they've been part of our church for 10 or 15 years. How many of you know Brandon and Kate Snook? How many of you know them? Okay, some of you do. Some of you don't. If you're newer, they've been part of our church for a long time. Uh, they, he's a doctor. She's a nurse. They're going to go move to Togo, West Africa, and our church is going to send them. We're financially supporting them, them and their, their 27 children, the whole family. They're all going to move. <laughs> to Africa, and they're going to minister to the, to the people there and serve them. It's a beautiful thing. Amen? Amen? Isn't that beautiful? And every time you give in the finances of the offering, a portion of that goes to the Snooks and to the other missionaries. Anyway, he said, hey, you're going to send these missionaries out. I said, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Now, you have to understand something about Rob. Rob has been a missionary to the UK. He was a missionary to Wales. And in fact, back in 2007, my wife Heather and I actually arose, uh, went to Wales and spent some time with them and saw their mission and preached in their church. It was really, really cool. Then after years in the UK as a missionary, he went to New Mexico, a small town in New Mexico that didn't have a lot of gospel teaching churches. And so he went there to teach the gospel to some people in New Mexico, started church, and then successfully transitioned that church to another pastor, and then moved to Colorado, is now a pastor. So this man knows how to be a pastor. He also knows what it's like to be a missionary. And he looked over at me as he drove, and I sat in the passenger seat. He said, here's my advice. Don't, don't forget about them. I said, oh, yeah, yeah, I know what you're talking about. Don't forget about it. He said, no, Josh. And he got very serious. He said, I know you. He said, you're a very busy man. And he said, I know how you are. The people that exist in the world are the people that are in front of you right now. Anybody like me? That's how I am. It's just who I am. And he said, here's what's going to happen. He said, if you're not careful, because your church, churches tend to reflect the personality of their pastors, you and your church are going to send them to Africa, and you won't even talk to them. Every five years, they'll show up, and you'll be like, yeah, I remember them. Man, his words struck me like an arrow deep in my heart. I'm like, man, you're right. He said, this is what you do. He said, every year you need to have somebody from the church going out to Togo, West Africa, to visit them. It needs to be you often, but it needs to be other pastors and deacons and members of the church. You need to make sure that they know that they're still part of your church. Isn't that good counsel from a friend? I'm so glad he warned me. I'm so glad that he loves me enough to go into an uncomfortable situation to say, I know who you are, and I know the potential mistake you're going to make. Don't make it. And now he's like a ghost in my mind. Can't forget the snooks. You see? You see? That's what a good friend is. And so what do you do with these good friends, Pastor? You talk to them. You warn them. Now, you might be asking yourself a question if you're an analytical thinker like I am. What if they refuse to listen to my incredibly wise counsel? <laughs> what if someone insists on a cycle of self-destruction? Pastor, if they continue to walk away, must I walk into the fire with them? If I'm a loyal friend, must I go with them? The answer is a resounding, hear me now, hear me. No, no, don't go with them, no. Instead, calmly and patiently explain. Where you're going, I can't follow. 
and I care about you, and I love you, but I have to stay right here. And I'll be waiting for you here. That's what a true friend does. So when you have to talk to somebody, number one, talk to them. Number two, warn them. Number three, wait for them. Wait for your friend. So what do you mean wait for your friend? Just literally that. Where you're going, I can't follow. I care about you and love you, but I think you're heading in a direction that's going to harm you. I can't go with you. But I want you to know, when you come back, I'll be right here, the same person waiting for you. But I'm not going to pretend to validate everything that you're saying and doing that's going to harm you in the long run. Does this make sense? By the way, that's exactly what was going on in the story with the prodigal son. You remember reading the prodigal son at the beginning of the story. It's about a, a young man who says to his father, Father, give me my money before you die because you're not dying soon enough. And he takes his money, goes off into the far country. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 33 says, Do not deceive, be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Okay, listen, listen. Don't be deceived. That means don't be fooled. Look, look, look. Some of us are very naive. We're nice Christians, but we're naive Christians. Do you hear what I'm saying? We're very nice, but we're very naive. The Bible says don't be naive. The evil people that you're going to surround yourself will eventually, it's going to affect your good habits. The, the longer you walk with Christ, isn't it true that you've been developing some good habits? You've been changing? You're becoming a different person? But there's something inside of you that demands to stay connected to some people that are walking the opposite direction to you. What are you doing? What, what, are you, what are you doing? Cut it off. Shut it down. See, but they're my friends. But they're going in a direction that you're not going. Stop it. You're only hurting yourself and hurting them. Making them feel guilty constantly. Well, I'm going to be your friend even though you're a wicked sinner. You know what I mean? Let them go. Let them go. In fact, that's exactly what the scripture teaches. Some friends will attempt to drag you alongside as they forsake God or they forsake you or they forsake wise counsel. Don't be pompous. Don't be pretentious. Don't pretend to be perfect, but you must allow them to walk away. This is what Paul told the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and he was talking about one of the strongest most important friendships that happen in life, and that was marriage. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse number 15, but if the unbeliever departs, let them depart. You're not in bondage in such cases. This is what, listen, this is what we do. We watch a friend hurting themselves, walking away from God, or walking away from truth, or hurting themselves, hurting others, and it's like we want to take handcuffs and handcuff them to the house. Handcuff them to the church. You can't leave. If you leave, let them leave. Sometimes the prodigal son needs to go into the far, far land, and so they understand how great the farm, the farm and the father's house is. Let them go. This is true, friend, of all of your friends who want to walk away from God. All of them. It's true if you're a father that watches a child walk away. It's true if you're a child who watches a parent walk away. It's true of a brother, a cousin, a friend, a coworker, a neighbor, a relative, whoever it might be, as they walk away, don't try to keep them from going. Talk to them, warn them, and then let them go. And then wait for them here. 
Do you notice what happens in the story of the prodigal son? The father doesn't stand, doesn't start walking with the prodigal son. Prodigal son's on his way with his money, and the father's like, please don't go, please don't go, please don't go. No, he stays on the porch and says, okay, we're here when, you're back, when you want to come back. Some of you are facing this dilemma right now, and you've become like a nag to some person who doesn't want to hear your message anymore. Well, I'm just going to be a little passive aggressive and let them know that they don't love Jesus like I love Jesus. No. Do you think that's going to be helpful? I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to write a letter. I'm going to write a letter explaining how I'm holy and they're not holy and that whenever they want to be holy like me, no. Think that's going to help? Listen to me. Listen, this is hard. Let them, let them go. And then wait for them. Wait for them. Once you do that, what do I do with a good friendship that seems to be going bad? Talk to your friend, warn your friend, wait for your friend. Here's number three. Number four, last one. When they come back, receive your friend. Okay. (laughs) The beautiful thing about a son is that he will always return to the father. And sometimes he's out in the wilderness for a long time before he does. Are you like me? Have you ever walked away from the father? Like, I, I, I was made by God the Father, and then I was saved by God the Father through Jesus Christ. But there have been times in my life that I've walked away from God. I was like the prodigal. Is there anybody in this room like me, or am I the only one who has sinned, that you've walked away from the Father? Has anybody ever played the prodigal before? If that's you, raise your hand. Yeah, sure, a lot of us. And you know what's true about the son is that a son of the Father will always return to the Father. You know what we ought to do? We ought to be like the father. When the fa- what happens in the story? When the son returns to the father. Notice what happens. This is a beautiful thing. By the way, when a son runs away from the father, they spend time in the world, and eventually they come to the realization the world is not as great as the father's house. Look at what it says. Notice the response of the father with the return of the prodigal son. Verse 20. And he arose and came to his father... But when he was still a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion. Notice the father's not angry with the son. The father doesn't want to destroy the son. The father has compassion on the son. This is the way God feels about you if you're just coming back to God right now. God's not angry. God's not looking for penance. God's not looking to get down and, and kiss the steps and kiss a ring and, and, uh, and, and make sure everybody knows how bad you are. That's not your father. All your father is here. He's standing here waiting for you to come back and he's smiling saying, come on, I'm glad you're here. I'm not going to follow you into your mess, but I am going to welcome you back when you want to leave your mess. And I'm going to help clean you up when you come back. So this is what's going on. He saw, the father saw him, had compassion on him, ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And the son, who had a prepared speech, says to his father, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father interrupts his speech and says to one of the servants, bring the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and have a party and be merry for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they all began to make a party and be merry together. 
This is the celebration when anybody who walks away from God finally comes back to God. Maybe right now there's a celebration in heaven because in this room there's somebody who's been walking away from God for days or weeks or months or years and now you've come back to God and God and the Father and the angels and the church is celebrating. Welcome back, we're glad you're here. He's not angry with you. And so ought we be when we've talked to a friend and we've prayed over a friend and we've warned a friend and then they've left and we've waited and if we're not careful, we become bitter as they've walked away and they've ruined their life and they've hurt others and they've taken from us and now they wanna come back? Who do they think they are? And instead of being the father, some of us as Christians become the older brother. Say, what's the older brother? In the story, there's one other character. It's the older brother who stayed on the farm Imagine being the older brother who stayed on the farm, right? Your younger brother takes half of the inheritance. He's out there living up his life, doing whatever he wants to do, blowing all of his money. Every day you're waking up, milking the cows, feeding the pigs. Well, probably not in this context. Working the farm, doing everything that they're supposed to be doing. And then all of a sudden, this jerk, this idiot... He's going to stroll right back onto the farm and act like he's right with the father like everybody else. This is what happens to, listen to me, this is what happens to good religious church folk like you and me. We've been serving Jesus. We've been going to church. We've been doing that which is right. Look how holy we are. Look how great we are. And now, all of a sudden, you want to come to God and know the Father like we know the Father, and we become arrogant and prideful and look down our nose at people. Look at what happens. Verse 25. Now the older brother was in the field, and when he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. And so he called one of the servants and asked him what the things meant. And the servant said to him, your brother has come home. And because he has been received safe and sound, your father has killed a fatted calf. But the older brother was angry. And like a stubborn donkey would not go in. That part's not in the Bible. I added that. He's a stubborn donkey. Because <laughs> that's what he's, he is, a stubborn donkey. How many of you realize religious people who think they're close to the Father can often be religious, stubborn donkeys? Now, if you're like, I am offended, you're proving your donkeyhood. <laughs> right? right? Okay, now. But he was angry and he would not go in, therefore his father came out. Look how patient the father is, not only with the prodigal, look how patient the father is with the Pharisee. Look how patient the father is with a good religious person like this. He just, the good father, don't we serve a good God? He just patiently walks out onto the porch where his older brother is, where the older brother is steaming. <laughs> therefore the father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, He's pleading with him, come on in. Your brother's lost, he's found, come on in. Lo, these many years have I served you. I never transgressed your commandments at any time. I never sinned like these Las Vegans sin. I've never done the wickedness that they've done. I've always come to church. I've always been here. And now I come every Sunday and I sit in the same seat. And now on Easter, this person comes and sits in my seat. That's not in there either, but like it might happen. A little prophecy for next week, you know what I mean? <laughs> I came back to church immediately. These people are showing up now. It's my church now. Yeah. 
Lo, these many years have I served you, never transgressed in any way, and yet you never even gave me a young goat. Don't you hate it when God gives somebody a fatted calf and he only gives you, never gives you a little goat? It's called fatted calf envy. All right. But as soon as the son, as soon as this son of yours came home, who devoured all of your living with harlots, you killed the fatted calf for him. What a jerk. And we can play that jerk. Because you went out of your way to talk to your friend and to warn your friend and to wait for your friend and now through the years you've watched them hurt themselves and they've hurt their children and they've hurt other people and they've hurt you and now the moment they come back to God and you're like, I don't know if I can handle this. What do you mean you don't know you can handle this? God had grace on you. Don't take yourself so seriously. Chill out, older brother. And welcome them home. That's what a good friend does. That's what a good friend does. Now, maybe you're here today and you're like that younger brother. You've been running from God. And, and now you're kind of wondering, do I walk in here and a lightning bolt hits me? No, you walk in here and we're all like, thank God you're back. We're glad you're back. Good. Now, if you've never repented of your sin yet and received Jesus Christ as your Savior, that's priority number one. You see, there's no way to get to the Father but through the Son. There's no way to be born again unless you repent of your sins and receive Christ as Savior. And after the end of the service, right over here are going to be standing a few deacons. And what we want you to do after everybody leaves out the back door, what we want you to do to know you're going to heaven, to be saved, to repent and receive Christ, just come and talk to my friends. You trust me, you can trust them. They're going to talk with you from the Bible how you can be born again, how you can be saved and become a Christian, okay? I hope that you will do just that. If you find yourself as the older brother who's warned and now you're a little, just talk to God and say, God, help me not to be a stubborn donkey, okay? And that'll be the sermon. Father, thank you so much for the chance you've given us to be faithful followers of yours. Help us to be good friends, even with those who, God, it seems like the relationship is going bad. Help us to talk to them, warn them, wait for them, and then receive them when they ultimately return to you and to us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.